having a couple of girls in my home, we watched some pretty funny things that only girls like to watch, such as the movie, the DVD, The Princess Bride. Anybody here ever watched The Princess Bride? Good, so you're at least saying that you like this kind of fantasy. Interesting storyline. It's pretty silly. And my girls could amuse themselves for hours in the back seat of our car by quoting their favorite sections. No more rhyming now, I mean it. Anybody know the next line? There you got it, anybody want a peanut? Silly, very silly. But there's one line that lies at the heart of this story, and of our stories as well. It's spoken when the story begins and when it ends. It's a kind of prayer. In fact, it was the greatest prayer that Jesus ever prayed. It is the prayer that Mary prayed as a response to the angel, Gabriel, when he announced to her that she'd been chosen to bear the Messiah. And if you and I could learn to pray this same prayer continually and really truly mean it, it is, in a very real sense, the only prayer that you and I would ever need. Gary Moon tells it this way. When the Princess Bride opens, we see the heroine going about her chores on the farm. Her name is Buttercup. Then we meet a young man who works on the farm and answers to the name of Farm Boy. Whenever Buttercup asks Farm Boy to do anything for her, he replies in exactly the same way, as you wish. And that's all he ever says to her. As they grow into their hormones, Buttercup seems to be developing a crush on farm, farm boy. One day he's about to leave the room and she asks him to fetch a pitcher, which is an easy reach for her. Farm boy walks over and stares into her eyes, lifts the pitcher and whispers, as you wish. In that moment, returning his gaze, Buttercup realizes that every time he has said, as you wish, he was really saying, I love you. For many centuries, those wisest among us about the spiritual life have insisted that this one line opens the heart to the Holy Spirit and the presence of God. There is no greater expression of love and trust than a freely submitted will. As you wish, God, as you wish. Jean-Pierre Cassad writes, every moment and in respect of everything, we must say, Lord, what should I do? Let me do everything you wish. Brother Lawrence wrote, let us often remember, dear friends, our sole occupation is to please God. At the heart of communion with God, writes Gary Moon, is that whisper, as you wish. Christians all over the world during this season are thinking about a particular story. 
And in that story, they remember a remarkable young woman named Mary who responded with, as you wish, when God told her that he planned to turn her world upside down. I love her story because she's a feminine role model and she's a mother. She's a heroine and she needs to be recognized as such. But instead of turning Mary into a super saint with a once in eternity opportunity for ex exceptional obedience, we should look at her story for the kind of trust and submission that God wants from all of us. She is not a super saint. She's just a, a person who loves God and opens her heart to him. Mary's story is the ultimate example of the divine human cooperation and what God's love and power looks like up close and very personal. So let's back up and look at the details of the story, beginning in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, that is of Elizabeth's pregnancy, which provides the context for the story, God sent the angel Gabriel. Now notice this with me. The story begins not with Mary's perfect character, not with Mary full of her own grace, but with God's initiative. God sent Gabriel. And who is Gabriel anyway? Hero of God is what his name means. And who knows how many battles he has had to fight, how many enemy lines he crossed to even get to Nazareth at all. Daniel 9.21 names Gabriel as the one who is bringing the prophecies to Daniel. In Daniel 10, verses 12 through 14, Gabriel explained all of the fighting that went on before Gabriel could get through to tell Daniel the prophecies that he wrote down there for us. Daniel had been mourning, fasting, and praying, and that was part of why Gabriel could get through. But in this case, that story isn't told to us, the behind the scenes. But what we do know is that God is getting ready to keep his promise, to do something that will rock human history forever. Imagine what it would have felt like to be Gabriel bringing this message, to be the one to hand deliver this good news. To Mary. So, do you remember the story, the backstory of all this? When the gates of Eden clanged shut and the angel sentinels were posted to guard the way back for Adam and Eve, our first parents took with them only one thing the clothes on their backs. And these were clothes that were provided to them by God Himself made from the skins of animals whose innocent blood had been shed so their shame could be covered. But into the lining of those clothes was sewn a promise, the promise of a savior to come. And over the centuries, the identity of the savior was progressively revealed. There was a paragraph of this promise shown to Abraham revealing that the Savior would come to his line 
and be a blessing to the whole world. A thousand years later, another portion of the promise was revealed. The Messiah would be a descendant of David and an heir to David's throne. Prophet by prophet, the Savior's features grew more and more distinct as he revealed one word, one sentence at a time, one image, what that Messiah would be and what he would be like. And so we find these promises. Emmanuel, God with us. And then in Micah, out of you, O Bethlehem, will come a ruler whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. This was not going to be just a man if his origins were from of old. And then the description of the personality of this Messiah. A bruised reed he will not break. A dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. But for 400 years now, between that last prophecy and the coming of Jesus, there's been silence from heaven. No message of hope, no promise of who was coming. It has been quiet. There have been no divine visitations, no prophetic utterances, no word at all. And now Gabriel gets to come and break the silence. What a privilege. And at first, Gabriel was sent to the holy city in Israel, to Jerusalem, to the most holy place in Jerusalem, the temple, and to the most holy place of the temple, to a most holy man, the priest named Zechariah. So with that first message to Zechariah, the silence of heaven was broken. And now, for the second time that year, just a few months later, Gabriel again heads to earth, to a tiny village called Nazareth, with a message that would change all of history. This time, he is sent to a peasant girl named Mary. I want you to notice something here. God had the plan, God had the power, and Mary did not dream this up. Mary did not make this happen. Luke 1.27 gives us the details. She's a virgin, and she's engaged to be married from Joseph, from the tribe of Judah. Notice all the things that this verse doesn't say. She's not royalty. It doesn't even list the name of her father, which usually when a woman is referenced, the name of the father is attached to it. There's no theology degree, no MDiv, no experience in her resume, no wealth, no authority, and no specialized training. She is just a peasant girl. That's all. And when Zechariah is mentioned on that first trip that Gabriel took in Luke 1.6, the Bible said that he and Elizabeth were upright in the sight of God, that they were observant, that they kept all the commandments and regulations blamelessly. But when we're introduced to Mary, there is no definition of why God chose her at all. There's nothing about Mary 
that says she was upright or blameless. And our friends the Catholics teach that she as well was immaculately conceived and that she never sinned. The Bible doesn't tell us that. It just says that she said yes to God. Why did God choose this particular young woman? I believe it's found in the answer, as you wish. So Gabriel comes and he begins by saying, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Luke 129 indicates that it wasn't the sight of the angel that startled Mary. Sometimes when humans see angels, they throw themselves on the ground and shake in fear. That was not Mary's response. And although you might be picturing a huge winged creature, Gabriel may have kind of dumbed it down, and he probably looked like an ordinary man as he talked to her. He isn't described at all here as big, bright, or shining, okay? And he could take any form that would serve the Lord's purposes. In fact, in this passage, he is not described at all, just his message is described. All we have are his words. So it is his words that startle and trouble Mary. The words of her being one of God's favorites because she does not see herself as one of God's favorites. She sees herself as an ordinary peasant girl. The message translate this phrase that she was thoroughly shaken. The New American Standard Version says she was very perplexed. Or Liz Curtis Higg translates it, she was totally flipped out. Highly favored? Me? I can imagine her looking around, wondering who else was there standing behind her. But I'm just an ordinary girl. Precisely. She was just an ordinary girl. God did not choose Mary because she was unique. Mary was unique because God chose her. He knew her tender heart, he knew her trusting nature, her abiding faith, and her humble spirit. Mary was full of grace because God filled her with blessing, with grace. It was his grace, and she was just the container. We have no description of her being holy or pious or deserving. The only thing it tells us is that she was a virgin. That's all it says. Nothing on her resume except willingness to take a hard job. But that was all God needed. What made Mary worthy of her calling was not her virtue. It was God's virtue. That's why her story should give each of us a generous measure of hope. God takes us as we are and uses us as he will for our good and for his glory. If Mary was full of grace, it was God's grace, not her own. And if we are to be full of grace, it will be God's grace, not her own. In verse 28, Gabriel tells Mary, the Lord is with you. 
This wasn't a prayer of blessing like the others we find in Scripture. May the Lord now show his kindness. May his face shine upon you. No, this is a statement of fact. Not that God would be with her or may be with her or could be with her. Gabriel said it. Adonai is with you. And I want to say this to you, my friends. Adonai is with you. To the degree you will let him be with you, he will fill you with his grace. Questions race through Mary's mind. Why had this angel come? What dark valley awaited her that she needed the promise of the presence of the Lord at her side? The possibilities were frightening. And as the angel sees the flicker of fear in her eyes, Gabriel sought to extinguish it. So he continues the message. Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. And how like the Lord is that? That when he sees that we're afraid, he gives us the information we need to be at peace. A moment earlier, Gabriel had told her she was highly favored. Now he tells her again. He reminds her that God had showered her with this free, spontaneous, absolute favor and loving kindness. That's what the Amplified Bible says. Maybe she missed it the first time. So when I go to the doctor, I like my doctor, Dr. Molly Hong, and also Ann Murphy, to, I like them to tell me what they're telling me, but I also like them to write it down. So I can go home and I can look it up on the internet and see what they've really said, because I can't grasp it all at once. Most of us need to hear that we are highly favored more than once. Because our hearts and our minds have absorbed that we are not highly favored. What we think of ourselves is not highly favored. So this angel has to tell Mary twice. Our hearts are hard and our heads are thick. And that's why we need to hear about Christmas every single year. That we are highly favored, that God loves us. Until we can finally comprehend even a glimmer of the truth of what is going on here. All of these Christmas stories are about grace. When we desperately needed grace, God sent it. Undeserved, unmerited favor. And it's all completely a gift. In verse 31, the angel continues. You will conceive and give birth to a son. Now Mary thought, hey, that's good. You know, every young woman in Israel liked to have sons. Someday I'll want a son, she said, and Joseph will want an heir. In her wildest dreams, she would have never imagined what the angel would have said next. And you are to give him the name Jesus. And even that wasn't all that unusual. There were lots of other Jesuses around. It was Joshua, which means God saved, and it was a fairly common name. But now her heart began to race because it's an angel saying this. And at the sound 
of the name of Jesus, she starts to get a clue. Jesus, it means God saves. She knew all of those promises about the Messiah. She'd studied them and prayed for them since she was a little girl. And every Jewish girl learned that someday, some amazingly blessed woman would be the mother to the Messiah. In verse 32, Gabriel continues, he will be great, okay, that's fine, but now comes the shocker. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will never so now she's receiving this news that she will have a baby who will be a king. Not just for a decade or two, not just Messiah for a lifetime, but the king of the universe who will have a kingdom that will never end. The son of the most high. Not just a son, but the son of God. It's a wonder she didn't faint. You know, I would have fainted if I was told that. It's like winning the lottery, but a million times better. This was far beyond every woman's hope and dream. She has been handpicked to be the mother of the Messiah. Not just the mother of a president or the mother of a king. God himself is entrusting her with his only son, the prophet promised Messiah. And the revelation stuns her. But this is why I think God chose Mary. Instead of closing down in self-recrimination and doubt and fear, she stays open to what God wants from her at this point. She was a remarkably willing participant. God did not conscript her into his service. He did not do this to her against her will. And that's important to re remember that. Without the plan and the power of God, this story would have not even begun. She could have studied the Old Testament day and night and never even comprehend what God had in mind. Who would have guessed it? She could have performed every spiritual discipline, kept every commandment, but she could have never created the life of God himself that was going to grow within her. In this divine human cooperation, Mary was not an equal partner. In a 50-50 proposition with God, God did it all. He provided the plan, he provided the power. All that Mary had to offer was the power of choice, her submitted will, as she said, as you. And even that was the result of God's grace that had already been working in her life. Philippians 2.13, I love this verse. It says, for it is God who works within you to will and to act according to his good purpose. If I even want to do anything good for God, it's God that's already been working on my heart to make me will to do that. So back to the story in verse 34, she only has one question. How? Since I'm a virgin, 
How can these things be? It's not the message that she is doubting or questioning. It's not the miracle. It's just the mechanics because she wants to understand what she needs to do. She does not doubt Gabriel's words like Zechariah had. She only wonders how it's going to happen so that she can be that willing participant. Clearly, it's okay to ask God questions. Is that good news? If you don't understand how God's going to do something, he wants you to talk to him about it. Ask how. It's okay to ask how. It's more than okay to ask him to clarify what he wants from you. I believe God loves our questions. But the answer to that how question is really remarkable. The answer is the Holy Spirit. Notice in verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. If you remember Greek mythology, the gods were always chasing each other around and procreating. Sometimes it's really nice and sometimes it's not. Sometimes in Greek mythology, the gods procreate with human beings. They have gods with human characteristics. They fall in love and they burn with desire. But this story is completely different. There's not a hint of human sexuality in this divine human encounter. It isn't that the Holy Spirit somehow wants Mary. God's desire is not only for Mary, but for the entire human race. He wants to come and be with us. He wants to send the Savior. God has always had the same answer when we ask how. What are some of your how questions? How can I have peace? How can I have victory? How can I be obedient? How can I know God's will? How can I witness effectively? How can I get along with my grown children? So tell me, church, how can we do those things according to this passage? The answer to how is always the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit coming upon us and overshadowing us because we are so completely submitted to God's will that we say, you can do anything you want with me. The answer to every how question is the Holy Spirit. But God does not do frontal lobotomies or hostile takeovers. And I'm glad for that. He allows us choice in the matter. But oh, how I wish that the Holy Spirit would overshadow me, overshadow you, overshadow us, overshadow this church, this community of Squim, and our world. But we have a part to play. He only comes when we welcome him, when we say, may it be done to me according to your word. We have to submit to his plan and his power. Sometimes people think that obedience and submission to God are the opposite of grace, which is absolutely not true. This story tells us that the converse is true. 
Obedience and submission prepare the place for grace and the Holy Spirit to overshadow us and grow within us something entirely God-initiated. When we have humble, obedient, submitted hearts, God can do his thing. And when we don't, he just waits. He stands outside the door and knocks, waiting for us to open the door and let him in. And in Luke 1, verse 38, the last verse of our scripture this morning, Mary has the answer there. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. I want what you want, Lord. I wish what you wish. Mary had a lot to lose by saying yes to God and his plan. There was a high probability that Joseph would reject her and break their engagement, that she would be ostracized from that point on, never allowed to marry or have children. Women without husbands don't have a way to earn a living, and without Joseph's support, she would live in abject poverty, perhaps even be forced to beg to survive. She would face ridicule and misunderstanding for the rest of her life. In a worst case scenario, either Joseph or her father could have had her stoned to protect their reputations. So when Mary said yes, there was a lot of risk involved in that. But Mary also had a lot to lose if she said no to God's plan. Just think what she would have missed out on. Just think of the incredible privilege that she had to watch Jesus grow up and mature slowly into the person that he was. If she had lived self-protectedly and played it safe, she would have missed all of that. So she prayed, as you wish. Lord, I put you in total charge of my future. Any place, any time, with or without anyone or anything. If I lose Joseph, that's okay if you are with me. I only want to be used by you. That's a powerful prayer. And if we pray that prayer and really mean it, God is overjoyed. Because he says anyone who loses his life will find it. When we give him everything we have and everything we are, then he can give us everything he is. He can finally give us the gift that he's been longing to give himself in his fullness, the Holy Spirit. We can pray like the prophets of Baal prayed for fire on Mount Carmel. We can scream and yell and cut ourselves and be repetitive and do it all day long. But if we have not surrendered, he cannot give us the power of his spirit. It would do more harm than good. If we are serious about wanting the spirit, we must learn to pray as Mary did, as you wish. May it be to me according to your will. Tim Bowden, in his book, One Crowded Hour, about cameraman Neil Davis, tells about an incident that happened in Borneo during the confrontation between Malaysia and Indonesia in 1964. A group of Gurkhas from Nepal were asked if they would be willing to jump from transport planes into combat against the Indonesians 
if the need arose. The Gurkhas had the right to turn down the request because they'd never been trained as paratroopers. Bowden quotes Davis's account of the story. Now the Gurkhas usually agreed to anything, but on this day, they provisionally rejected the plan. But the next day, one of their NCOs sought the British officer who made the request and said they had discussed the matter further and would be prepared to jump under certain conditions. What are they? asked the British officer. The Gurkhas told him that they would jump if the land was marshy or reasonably soft with no rocky outcrops because they were inexperienced at jumping and falling. The British officer considered this and said, no, the drop zone will be over the jungle. There will be no rocky outcrops. So that seemed all right. Was there anything else? Yes, said the Gurkhas. They wanted the plane to fly as slowly as possible and at no more than 100 feet above the ground. The British officer pointed out that the planes always did fly slowly as the paratroopers jumped out, but to jump from 100 feet was impossible because the parachutes would not open in time from that height. Oh, said the Gurkhas, that's all right then. We'll jump with parachutes anywhere. You didn't tell us there'd be parachutes. When we talk about being totally sold out for God, totally committed, we often forget to include the most important detail of all. God doesn't ask for obedience without giving us the Holy Spirit as our parachute. To the extent that we will surrender our will to the will of God, the Spirit will take control. When we submit, he overshadows us, and then he'll even help us surrender. Remember, it's God who works in us, both to will and to do his good pleasure. The Spirit helps us every step of the way, just like he helped Mary. The Holy Spirit is our divine parachute, and the things that we could never do, would never do, become completely reasonable once we're sure that God will be at work with us and in us and through us. Things as impossible as a virgin conceiving so let's back up and pick up verse 37 that was there in the story of Mary and can be part of our stories too. What does verse 37 tell us? For nothing is impossible with God. If we have the Holy Spirit and God says, okay, this is what I want you to do, he doesn't ask us to take tally and figure it all out. If he said to do it, he will make it happen. We need to start entering the power of the Spirit into the equation of our lives. The question is no longer, can I do this? The question is, can God do this? And that's a completely different question. Of course he can. Nothing is impossible with God. So do you see that promise? What part of nothing do we not understand? But the Spirit waits for us to say yes to him. He waits for that as you wish. 
in a water safety course, a cardinal rule is to never swim, swim out to a drowning man and try to help him as long as he's thrashing about. Any um, water safety people out there, lifeguards? What happens if you try to save someone who's thrashing about? They'll hold on to you and bring you down. To do so is to commit suicide. As long as a drowning man thinks he can help himself, he's dangerous to anyone who wants to help him. The correct procedure is to be there and stay just far away that he can't reach you. And you wait. And when he finally gets tired enough and gives up, then you reach out. At that point, the one who is drowning is pliable. Here's the promise. Our heavenly lifeguard won't work against us. If we fight, he will not force. He'll wait until we are ready for him to be in control. And then he will fill us, but he will not take us hostage against our will. He waits for us to say yes. Ted Kidd was five years older than Janet. He finished college way before her and started to work in the city hundreds of miles away. They always seemed to be out of sync with their lives, but they loved each other, and their courtship continued for seven years. Would you guys wait that long? Every Valentine's Day, Ted proposed to Janet. So he proposed to her six times. And Janet would say, no, not yet. There was always something she had to do first. Finally, Todd decided he would risk everything to make his dream come true. So he bought the ring, and he took her to a romantic restaurant and was prepared to get down on his knees. If he received another no, he decided that that would mean he had to break up with her and get on with his life. After the salad, entree, and dessert, it was time. Ted summoned up his courage. He fingered the box in his pocket. But then he saw that Janet had a gift for him. So he decided to play it safe and let her go first. What did you bring me, he asked. The box was the size of a small book. He opened the package and slowly peeled away the tissue paper. Carefully cross-stitched was a simple design. It said, yes. Janet said, yes. Mary said, yes. She hears Gabriel's words, and she believes they are true, and she immediately says, yes, I will, as you wish. I believe that God chose Mary because she had been in the habit of always saying yes to God. She had probably said yes to God in countless ways over her young life, and he knew what the answer would be. I invite you to take a moment to pray that same prayer that Mary may have prayed. My friend, God knows your name. He knows where you live, and he has a plan for you. And he promises that he can and will let you in on that plan. So begin by promising him, Father, if you show me your plan, I've already decided the answer will be yes. I put you in total charge of my future. Any place 
any time, with or without anyone or anything. I only want you to use me. As you wish, Lord. As you wish.